Hello, everybody. This is Jacob from Maine, and uh, welcome to Kratom Sobriety, episode 19. Thanks, Jacob. Today we have a conversation with Matthew, who will be celebrating two years Kratom Free this fall. Wide-ranging conversation from the limits of substance-specific recovery groups to his love of bright eyes. We're going to talk about medicated-assistant treatment, one of those lightning rod topics in the quitting Kratom world. But before we got into that, Jacob, I know that you tried the 12 steps and you found that it wasn't right for you. Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, I I did find the 12 steps programs. The first one was, was AA um, and the only one actually. I went to that when I was trying to quit alcohol. A long, well, not a long time ago, but several years ago. And um, I just, it didn't work for me. So the first thing I did was I went into the AA subreddit and I bashed every single person I could find about how the 12 steps were stupid and there's no God and uh, higher power and all the all the crap. Oh, no, of course, I didn't do that. What I did was I um, took some advice from a podcast, but I don't remember which one or it might have been a counselor I had at one point. But basically, they said, usually in a program of, of some sort of recovery there's going to be things you like and things you don't like. So you take the good, you leave the bad. And if it's not for you, you try something else. So that's what I did. I tried something else. I tried smart recovery um, when I was quitting alcohol addiction. That worked really well. Um, and now with Kratom, I'm also doing smart recovery, but I supplement it with another program called Mara that we've talked about before. Yeah. So the point here is just there's not one size fits all. And just like Jacob didn't go and do a bunch of AA bashing. He just kind of walked away from it and decided that wasn't right for him. And Matt isn't the right choice for everybody. And I know pe some people have had really difficult experiences with it, especially with the withdrawals coming off something like Suboxone and feel really strongly they want to warn the world about it, especially in a, a Matt safe space and a Facebook or even in a Reddit discussion. It, it's important to like let people who choose Matt to like sort of have some peace, you know, with that choice. There's this thing where people often say that like the withdrawals were the worst withdrawals I've ever went through, but they never usually qualify it. And I know that takes a little bit more time, right? If you're posting in a forum to say like, and I used it for this long and I came off at this dosage. That would be super helpful to people. Whereas just saying it's the worst withdrawal ever and you're making a huge mistake, it doesn't really help particularly for people that have already made that decision, because like now they're like even second guessing it and starting to worry about it. So I think people have to share their honest experience. And I know people have had bad experiences on it and they, they should be free to share those. Uh, and as Eric said in the interview last week, don't take advice, especially around medications from you know people on the internet. Always consult with the physician. And I know the, the Matt controversy. People have a lot of a skepticism about the medical, Western medical establishment. You know, there's a, a for-profit motive. feel like big pharma is pushing these meds on people and want, you know, big pharma wants everybody to be uh, on some kind of medication for long-term and it's to drive profit. And there might be some truth in that. And doctors like to prescribe stuff that's one of their main tools. We're not going to talk about the helper meds today, you know, things like clonidine and et cetera. 
There's two broad categories, medicated assistant treatment, and they're not the same. Yeah, the two categories are there's um, the opiate blockers, and those are things like naltrexone, naloxone, Vivitrol. They're they're all essentially uh, the same thing, I believe, and, and they are just essentially block the ability for an opiate to get into your brain. So Kratom is a partial opiate antagonist, or at least that's one of the compounds in it. So if you're going to take that if you're on Vivitrol, it's not going to work. Then there is opiate replacement, and these are usually partial opiate antagonists. And what they do is they don't activate your opiate receptors, but they fill them so that you don't experience cravings and withdrawals if you take the right dose. I mean, don't maybe isn't the isn't the correct word, but but they're they, they help lessen those symptoms, and people find that it allows them to essentially live a normalish life without having to take um, their drug of choice and keep abusing it. In general, the opiate blockers don't have the withdrawals that are associated with the subs. All medications have side effects. Talk to your doctor about that. There is some stigma around the the subs because people perceive that as getting people are getting high from it, and that's not necessarily the case. I'll just give you my personal experience. For me, yes, you know, I'm I'm in medicated assisted treatment. My my dosage for for what I take daily of Suboxone is is quite low. It's about well, I don't know if it's quite low, but it's on the lower side. It's like four milligrams. The only time I've ever really felt anything from it was the first couple of days when I was over-medicated. And if, um, if that is the high that they talk about, it's not very fun. Um, I, I didn't feel good. I, I felt, you know, really just like literally over-medicated. Like I, I had taken too much of something. It, it was, it was unpleasant to say the most. So, but once I worked with my doctor over a week and, and we found the right dosage and ever since then, I've, haven't really felt anything. Maybe a, a little bit of like, energy or something in my head and I think it's more psychosomatic than anything but but that's that's about it when I take my my dose in the morning for me it, it what, what seems to be a prevalent opinion of, of some folks that are very critical of of Matt it's like well you know you're not doing the work or you just you just you know you're bypassing recovery and it's like no I'm it was a last resort. Like I, I literally tried everything else for for a long, long time. I mean, you can listen to to my story on on the on the podcast that that I did. But it's um, it it wasn't something I went into lightly, and it was also a, a harm reduction mechanism. You know, I I relapsed like a bunch of times, and I felt like it was going to happen again. I, I you know I didn't. I was even scared at that point that I was going to you know relapse on alcohol or something else because I have a history of of substance abuse, and I just didn't want to take that risk. As you were pointing out, you know, Matt isn't just for getting through with the withdrawals. It can also help with the long-term maintenance of abstinence, you know, because that you you successfully actually quit multiple times, but it was, and stood those withdrawals, but it was the Matt is helping you stay off of it longer term. Yeah, exactly. Like I I got through Kratom withdrawals several times, Um, never like... For, for very long, like six months or a year or something like that. But I, but through the acute phase and into, you know, being able to sleep again and starting to, to get out of the, the mental funk I was in. But yeah, it was, it was more about the, the constant relapsing and, and trying to just break that cycle. A lot of times what I see in online forums is, is people talk about, oh, you know, the withdrawals are terrible from Suboxone and, and, and that's all that, you know, that, that you're just better off going off Kratom because if you can't take Kratom withdrawal, you can't do this. And it's like, okay, that is potentially true. Like there is no disputing in my opinion that, and I'm not a doctor, so just this is my opinion, but from what I've read, 
if you're going to just quit the boxing cold turkey at, you know, anything over a milligram, even, you know, less than that, I've heard people withdraw from like, you know, 0.25 and sometimes even less than that. And they still have, you know, a decent or bad withdrawal experience. But if you don't taper at all and you just jump off Suboxone, it's going to suck. It's probably going to suck a lot worse than Kratom. It just, it just is. There's, it's just you're taking something that's stronger and you're taking a lot of it. But that's not what you're supposed to do. And the, the whole point of a, a MET program is you're working with a doctor. You've got a support system. You're not just, you know, if, if you're just going to taper yourself off it or just jump off it, yeah, it's going to suck. But that's, that's just one aspect. They don't seem to chime in and, and factor in the fact that, okay, but what happens next? You know, if you're at risk for relapse, and where I think this is particularly problematic is there's a lot of people on Kratom that were on opiates before. And, you know, if they've been on Kratom for a long time and they decide Kratom isn't working anymore, they can't get off it. They're, they're going through cold turkey. It's Kratom's not working. And then they're like, well, I'm just going to go back to opiates. There's, there's a terrible fentanyl drug supply out there that can potentially kill them very, very fast. So I think the, the relapse part is really overlooked. And, and that's, that's a big thing that I think people should, should think about when they're giving advice if they've had a bad experience. Like, take that into consideration, maybe. MAT is a form of harm reduction on two levels. It can prevent you from going back to a more deadlier substance. And two, while you're on MAT, it can reduce the harm that's going on because of your Kratom use if you are spending most of your paycheck on Kratom or yeah. if it's starting to have bad health effects or mental health negatives using a mat that is doctor supervised. And like you said, it's not just a medication. There's usually a whole program with the Medicaid assistant treatment, structure, accountability, I know there's some programs that like you can, that, that there isn't that component. I did that with, with alcohol at one point. You know, I read all these books and I was clean for a while and I hadn't drank and I was feeling really good. And I said the three words that no addict ever wants to say. Those are, I got this. Stop working a program. Uh, next thing I know, I'm in a smoke shop buying Kratom and uh, then I'm taking four extracts a day and then my, my life is, is, is going back to shit again and it, it was just a spiral. So most programs, if, you, if you're going to be on a med drug, they're going to want you to go to meetings. You're going to get drug tested. You're going to have to you know, see the doctor every month, sometimes weekly at the start. Um, so there's a whole accountability system and, and recovery aspect to it, which I think is is really important. So it's not just medication. There's a whole other part of it. And I know there's some tele telehealth services and other services now that um, it's easier for doctors to prescribe it that don't have that. But you know, even if you're doing that, that's that's totally fine. Just get yourself into a program, in my opinion, because I think you need to work on you know why you were using as well. Um, and that kind of gets into the the medication aspect a little bit. What I always find interesting about um, medication assisted treatment is it's like nobody. I compare addiction to type two diabetes, right? There's an element of choice you could argue in both of those, right? Because an addict, the first time they use a the substance, they're making a choice to use it. You know, someone that's having a poor diet that's leading them to most to get type two diabetes a lot of times, they could have chose, I guess, not to have that diet, but the difference is no one's out there yelling at people with type 2 diabetes that they shouldn't be on insulin. There's like no one would ever say that. But medication-assisted treatment, there's this like 
very, very vocal group of people that seem to just be dead set against it to the point where, like, I think if you ask them, like, well, do you do you think it's better for someone to be at risk of relapse? They would say yes, because they're not truly in recovery, in my opinion, which just don't agree with it necessarily. Yeah. And that my last point creates an opportunity for stabilization. And then you can make those lifestyle changes, those recovery steps. And I'm not uh, a doctor, but you know, I'm definitely not, would not recommend to be on Matt long-term for the rest of your life. You know, work with your doctor to figure out what the time frame for you is the best, you know, and, and like you advocated for yourself, you were initially on too high of a dose. If you listened to your body, it wasn't working for you and you worked with your doctor to lower your dose. Self-advocate, make informed choices. Before we wrap on this part, when you're talking to people coming off Kratom, if you're, if you had a bad experience with Matt and, you know, you want to truly caution them about what, what happened. I think you should totally do that. I'm not saying don't, don't speak your truth. You definitely should. But just remember that, you know, they may be poly substance addicts that used other things beforehand that you're not factoring into their history. And so, so just, just be a, maybe if you're going to engage, like engage personally and, and try to give a little more information and, and ask them a little bit about their choice versus just giving a blanket statement. Thanks a lot. This is a great discussion. And now for the interview. Everybody, this week we have an interview with Matthew. Uh, how would you introduce yourself to the world? Oh my gosh, I read that question in in the the when they were sent to me originally, and I'm like, God, oh, that's like a big question. <laughs> um, I would say how I see myself and how people see me are probably very different, um, just because of the journey I've been on over the last two years. How I see myself, um, I'm a dad to two children now. I just had a little boy. Um, two weeks ago. Um, I'm a nerd. I played video games professionally when I was younger. I traveled around the world and won money and I like to read books and I'm by and large pretty introverted. And that's not really how I would imagine that people see me. That's that's like the, the image as I exist in my head. Um, I'm little, like I weigh 130 pounds. I just, I'm always fascinated by how much how different how I see myself is versus how people perceive me. That's how I see myself, how I'm perceived and how I exist to the outside world is that I'm like an insane, like hybrid athlete. I like to run really far. Um, I like to lift weights. I'm super into boxing. I have this weird, you know, two different versions that kind of coexist. Um, and I have been, and always will be a drug addict, um, first and foremost. Um, so I've definitely struggled with Kratom, uh, but I have struggled with many drugs through my life. Um, so it's it's for me, it's just not a Kratom-specific issue. It just happens to be the most recent. I always joke that like my drug of choice is like free. Like I just would do whatever. Um, I've always been like that, uh, unless I'm practicing abstinence, which I've had a lot of luck with over the last 10 years. Um, I've had a streak of being clean for six years, uh, a short relapse, being clean for two years, a long relapse of two years, and now I'm about to get two years clean. 
um, here in November. Congratulations, a newborn. How, how much sleep are you getting nowadays? Man, it's pretty rough. Um, no, it's actually, I'm getting way more than when we had my daughter. Um, my wife has okay. been way more involved um, in the nighttime stuff than when we had my daughter. I did a lot of the nighttime stuff. My daughter, because I was on Kratom. Um, that's the reality. Um, that was a big part of my relapse was having to stay up with the baby. And then I would like volunteer for it because that was just my time to get, you know, as sad as that is, to, you know, to get high and uh, have that like extra energy or whatever you want to call it. You know, Kratom such a weird drug. And that's kind of, I think, one of the reasons I've been drawn to talk about it because I've abused so many different drugs in my life and Kratom is easily the weirdest one by far so what is your current kratom abstinence date um so it's 11 17 of 21 um so i'm coming up on two years clean for me it's just an everything abstinence date on that two-year relapse i was only using kratom I mean, I definitely have a specific identification with my propensity to try to abuse that drug. But if denied that drug, when I'm in addict, like full on addict mode, I mean, I'll, I will, I will, when I'm using and it's really gone off the rails, I will use drugs I actively hate, like that I despise because I am just not a normal human. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of in the journey is, is trying to make peace with kind of that. I always think of Dexter. He's got like the dark passenger. That to me is like how I view um, my problem with substances. When he's running the show, I just become a totally different human. But I appear as a totally normal human on the outside. It's all spiritual wreckage for me. So, so when you say spiritual wreckage, so it didn't have some of the classic um, problems of physical problems and like arrests and job losses or car accidents and things like that? So I did not this time um, at all, which made it a very unique experience. And, and really what I attribute to or what I consider to be the biggest, most insidious part of like Kratom addiction is that it, I was able to, I always say I was able to keep the plate spinning. Um, like I was able to keep up appearances like just by the skin of my teeth just barely getting by um and there's this there's this uh concept called the distance beta paradox and it's basically this concept that if you take somebody and you put them in a uncomfortable like the best uh, way to explain it is if you have somebody that's in a bad relationship but the relationship's not so bad that they're gonna leave that person they would be better off if they were in a horrible relationship because then they would break up with the person and then go find the person that they're supposed to be with. That to me is like Kratom to a T is that it's the reason it's called the distance beta paradox. Cause it's basically says like, if something was a mile away, you'd start driving a car to it. But if it's anything under a mile, you're going to walk. So it, it leaves you in this eternal walk because the damage is never bad enough to where you have to take the car. And so what should be a three-minute drive is a 50-minute walk every day, and you ne it never gets bad enough. They've actually studied it with like terrorist attacks where people that are closer to the chaos usually recover quicker than people that were further from the chaos. Um, so hmm. it's just a fascinating like 
problem i think of the human condition just that like if that water just gets turned up real slow it's hard for us to recognize we have a problem and i i or it's hard for me to recognize it was hard for me to recognize i have a problem i don't want to project on other people that was my experience with it um and i i definitely think that that was a unique thing having abused so many different drugs through my life i mean all the other ones ran me off the road so fast it was so obvious and this is the only one I've ever been able to use and like not not lose everything immediately. Um, yeah. So when you were talking about spiritual wreckage, you were specific to Kratom and your most recent relapse. And I totally relate. And I not to project on others, but the majority of people I talk about about Kratom addiction, that's it's a functional drug. The major consequences. Uh, you know, maybe the the biggest one might be money for some people. That, yes. that was my my case, especially if you get into extracts. But even people that buy a lot of powder, eventually, it starts costing. So, before we discuss um, your struggles with other drugs and alcohol, what was your first experience with kratom? And yeah, so I I was trying to parse through my memory, right? Because I've been on on the recovery train for over a decade now. A lot of this stuff was a long time ago, but I remember when I was when I was trying to get off of Suboxone. I remember I had a buddy that was trying to quit illicit opiates, you know, street drugs, and he had just introduced me to it. And I didn't really think much of it uh, because I was abusing so many drugs that it's like, you know, I always think of it. It's like I would always make pot brownies, and then I would smoke a bunch of weed while they were making and then i'd eat them and i'd be like i don't know <laughs> i don't know i can't tell <laughs> so it was like that i i don't even really remember it being too significant but w when i was reintroduced to it so i i got off suboxone um after i think i was about 22 23 i'm 35 now um i got off suboxone and I didn't really understand the gremlin of addiction yet. And I was just like, oh, I'm just drinking and smoking pot. And for me, that was clean. I mean, I had been abusing opiates for like 10 years. So when I got off Suboxone, I was like, I am free. I made it. That's that's so common in, in, in people that aren't familiar with recovery and like that dark passenger that I've gotten to know mm -hmm. that lives inside me. Um, they think like I made it. They'll have like two months clean and they'll be like, I made it. And it's like, dude, this is a long game. Like, it's it, getting clean is super easy compared to staying clean. I have, this is kind of a, a tangent, but I have seen people throw away the most magical lives you could ever dream of ever. I knew a guy that owned a multi-million dollar company, box seats at local NFL, NBA team, mountain climber, government contracts for the whole state. And I watched him throw it away in, in like six months with like almost a decade clean. Like, wow. It does not discriminate and it does not go away in my experience. Um, it, it finds other outlets to um, – so I, I quit Suboxone was drinking and smoking pot for about six months and i was feeling like i made it like i got i'm just a normal guy i just drink beers and smoke weed and it's no big deal and i was working at a car dealership and uh, one day i got real drunk and i hate drinking i was just at a party and i got real hungover i woke up so hungover and i remember like the dark passenger was like hey you know what would make us feel better 
a little bit of that kratom. Remember that stuff that guy gave you that one time? It's not that hardcore. It'll be fine. And so that sent me on about a um, that sent me on about a six month to a year only abusing kratom every day, just taking handfuls of capsules and just I was still pretty young. Um, my relapse this time as an older person was way different um, because I had funds and a life. This was just like, you know, how can I get twenty dollars to buy as many caps as I can and just take them all at once? And I did that for about six months, and that's when I got clean for real for those first six years. Um, I still have the journal I wrote down. Um, I need to find humans that can help me. Like I can't do this. Um, and that's how I was introduced to 12 step fellowships, um, which I am not coming as a spokesperson for. Um, I am but a flawed human that is, that has made and very likely will continue to make horrible mistakes. Um, so I don't want to be the representative for anything. It completely changed my life and I was able to get clean and I, I got clean for a long time, you know, six years, this is a pretty, pretty long time. So yeah, that was kind of my introduction to it and when it first got its hooks in me before my inevitable, inevitable relapse after six years clean. I love that. I need to find humans that can help me. That is. Yeah. <laughs> I think of That's it. I think of it. I always think I have like a weird photographic memory for online, uh, online, uh, like intellectuals and books. And I always think of the scene in Into the Wild where he's like dying and he writes, "Happiness is only real when shared." I always think of that where I'm just like, mm -hmm. "That's the moment I had where I'm like, I need people <laughs> help me." Yeah, you know. So, and just so you don't feel out there on the limb. I first got sober uh, over 25 years. So I've had some relapses, you know, and my primary drug of choice was alcohol. So I got sober three years and relapsed. Then I didn't drink all my thirties. It was like 11 or 12 years. I really thought I was done with that <laughs> after a decade, you know, my conversations talking to you and the interview with Fritz, just, I actually just went back to a 12 step group and like reset my, sobriety date so that like you know on my phone i was like had all these different dates for everything you know i mean it's great that i haven't drank for three and a half years and i'm never gonna forget the last time i drank or the last time i did kratom but for the purpose of my home group and with my the sponsor and i got a new sponsor so why don't you talk about your relapse after the six years after you know that first stint like what happened there so i had a very short relapse so i i had been clean for six years man this is so I I swear, like when I think back on like just the, the choices and the decisions I've made, twelve the, the steps helped me so much. Is um like okay, I got another quick tangent for you. There's a great okay. Jordan Peterson video, and I know Jordan Peterson is like a weirdly polarizing political figure. There's nothing about politics, but he had this lecture um, called "You Would Have Been a Guard at Auschwitz." And it was just about how we have this fantastical idea of who we are and what we would do in like horrible situations. His whole point was just like, most people would be the guard. You would, you'd like to think that you wouldn't, right? Like you'd be the hero, you'd be mm -hmm. Schindler, you'd be pulling all the, you know, you'd be risking your life for other people. No, you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I'd be man in my post and try not to get killed. You know, and it's just, mm -hmm. I remember that, that had a big effect on me because 
I, I just know what I'm, I'm capable of horrible things. And that's a, that's a hard, scary thing to confront. And if you, uh, in my experience, if I don't confront that on a long enough timeline, I will relapse. Like I have to look at that. What makes me capable of that? Why can I do that? Like, why can I lie? Why can I lie to the people that I love? Like what would do that? Why do I do that? How can I not do that in the future? Yeah. After six years, I remember when I first got clean, I wrote down five things that I wanted. I, I hope I can remember them. It was some of these are silly, but I was like freshly clean 20, I think I was 24. A good job, a cool car. Like I wanted a fucking, I wanted a race car. Uh, uh, an attractive wife, <laughs> a house. I can't remember what the last one was, but it was like, I remember when I wrote those things down, they seemed so fantastical because I was like a homeless loser, just crawling in, help me. Just can I get a day? Can I get an hour? Can I get a minute? So when I wrote those things down, they seemed like fantasy. Like I, yeah. I was never going to get those things. That's the thing about like reservations, right? Like we don't want to leave room for if or, you know, I got all those things. Um, I got married and I, I owned a home. I had a 370Z. Uh, I, I had all of the stuff that I want. I had a really good career and I went on my honeymoon and I, the day I got back, I had a really bad stomach virus from traveling and I went to the hospital and they thought I had appendicitis and they gave me morphine. Immediately I got home and I was just like, I like that feeling. And I was like, I've, I've accomplished all this. I always think of Lord of the Rings. It's like, why shouldn't I have it? Like, I just, I, it'll be fine. And so I went and got, went to the head shop, got some Kratom and I, I used it for about three weeks. And then I didn't want to stop. I was loving it. And I just didn't want it to, I, I knew what was going to happen. So I was like, if I tell my wife, I can just fix this. It's like, it never fucking happened. And so I, I told her, and it was a huge thing, obviously. Um, and I, and I, I reestablished and I got clean. But here's the thing. So I was able to get two years off of that. And I was so angry and bitter. I was so closed off to like human connection in the rooms. I was just jealous of everyone that had more time than me. Um, I was like this just just such a negative it was like the darkest most negative two years i've ever been clean um and it was just it was literally pure like hatred and jealousy that kept me clean because i was like i don't want anyone else that came in after me to have more time than me all these losers of so I, i made two years off of that and then that's when i had my big relapse and it was really just a matter of time uh i called this guy really respective actually called he's the first person i call on my two relapses and i was like yeah i did it you know i've been using drugs and he was like um let me guess the rooms became the most messed up part of your life and i was like yep i'd go i'd go i'd see everyone i'd judge everyone i'm better than y'all i don't belong here i'm different 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 what are they terminally unique you know um i just i let that become the darkest part of my life and then it's when I really realized this, that was the real one. So that was, um, about four years ago. I, uh, my daughter was about three or four months old, maybe a little bit older. Uh, I was trying to do the late nights with her and I was just like, I know what would make this easier. I know what would make this better. And I went and got it. And I, I have never been more confident in my life that I, that I was going to be able to control my using than when I went and got that. 
it was just like, you know, it says in, in some fellowships, it'll say like, did you ever try to make a, make a schedule to control your using? <laughs> it's like, that's a, it's a red flag, right? That's not how normal people engage with illicit substances. They don't schedule it, right? They just, yeah. they're normal people. Um, but I, I tried to control it and um, I made it about three weeks. No, a little longer than that, about a month and a half. I was like once every three days. I think that was the rule or only on the weekends or whatever the stupid rule was. And um, I remember that first time I dosed against my will. I woke up, I felt sick and I, I was looking at it and oh man, it was like a, it was like standing in a tunnel and I could see the train coming and it was like a small light. It was like the bat. Have you ever seen a, have you ever seen flight? with uh denzel washington i don't believe i have it's great it's about an alcoholic pilot this is a spoiler so tune out if you don't want flight spoiled it came out years ago uh, it's about an alcoholic he gets clean and he's gonna have to testify in front of congress he's like this hero but he was drunk when he did it um and they're trying to figure out if he was drinking but he like had this miraculous plane landing so he's like this big hero he gets sober and he's got like a couple months and he's sleeping in the hotel and he's got Congress the next morning and he has a connecting room and he's in bed and he hears like clicking and it's, it's the door to the connecting room that somebody had left open. There's like a buzz and he like peeks in and he sees like the fridge, the little fridge because they had taken his alcohol fridge out and he's like looks at it and then he goes and gets back in bed and then he, you just hear, you hear that that fridge just and it's like it was like that where it's like and of course he gets wasted right because that's what we do yeah um and uh it was like that like i saw it and it was like a wormhole to like what was going to be i knew like years of misery until somebody caught me you know i was not going down like i'm not going back by the ticket take the ride like i took it and i, I just remember that was the moment where i i, I realized like i can't control this so it's like let's see where, let's see if i get off let's see if i ever get to get off the ride I just, I knew, like, I know what I'm like when I do that. And it was like complete surrender to the dark passenger. Like, all right, cool. You're driving. We'll, we'll see where we end up, you know? And that's just like the guarded, like, that's me being the guarded Auschwitz, right? Like, that's me yeah. just acting at, like, I want to be the hero of the story. And I'm not when I'm using, I'm not, I lose all control to be like the person that I'm supposed to be when, when I do that. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was my big Kratom relapse. And how did it progress from there? Horribly. Um, just buying so much powder. Oh, you know, lying. Just the sneaking around and the lying is what I have. I have more guilt about that than I do about the drug use. Just the, the version of me that can, like, lie to my wife. I was, like, going to meetings. And the version of me that can do that is, like, the scariest human I've ever met. Um, just the sneaking around bags of powder that put it in my sock, the, how can I get it here? How can I get it there? The ritual aspect of it, that can I go get an orange juice or are they still open? You know, it makes me super uncomfortable even to just talk about it and think about it because when I'm not using drugs, I am not like that. I am a, a honest, great, nice, caring, helpful person. But when I put drugs in my body, I am just capable of just being just a, just an unreliable liar. That's it, it just progressively got worse. And it got to the point where I 
was having like seizure like symptoms a lot um a real bad muscle spasms like i remember one time i like couldn't i couldn't walk to the bathroom in the night um i woke up and i and my legs did not work and i had to pee so bad and i literally had to crawl to the bathroom and then crawl back and like get in bed and i remember that night i told myself like if i wake up and i still feel like this the jig is up i'm i'm coming clean and you know, so, and I did, I did all the, every time I used after that, that first month and a half was against my will, dude. I threw it all out so many times. I made those foxhole prayers and somebody I really respect that has a lot of clean time said like, man, when I would do that, I, I would mean it. Like it was not just empty, but I just, I could never, I could not make it stick. You know, I would get desperate and draws and the SSRI qualities of creating such a weird drug and the depression and drive an hour and throw it out and then the next day I'd drive back and get it in the parking lot. Like it was just so just such insanity. Um the whole time juggling a job and and the the baby and my wife and all my friends that are in recovery. Every human I interact with is clean. It's just the whole thing was just it was like a fever dream nightmare, dude. Even now when I think about it 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 just horrifies me, you know, it is what it is. That's the reality, you know? Yeah. That, that double life of both being in the recovery community, going to meetings and hiding it from a partner, soul crushing inside. What came to the impetus for you to finally quit almost two years ago? So I wish there was a story of me being the hero, but there's not. So my wife took my car to CrossFit and found my stash, you know, and, and um, she had taken my car a couple times when it was in there and I, I would always think about it. Um, I remember one time she had taken it and like, got was going to go get groceries and I had thrown it in the back seat and I was like, this is it. That whole hour, I was like, this is it. It's over. And she just didn't notice it, you know, and it's just, uh, so she found it and, uh, I had a ritual where I would just take a nap on my lunch break every day because I was high, you know, that's what yeah. I would do. And, uh, so I was napping at, 10 probably 10 o'clock and she came in and she was like it dude it was that classic i'm not mad i'm disappointed which is so much worse but um that, <laughs> it would have been better that, just yelling at you and throwing well, things at you yes in the first relapse she was so angry and in this one she was so calm and it's just like the lies just stack up so high and then you find because I, I i have this problem where and I've learned this through step work is that I have this defect where I think if I lie and no one finds out, it never happened. And that's what step work revealed to me which I've had is like, I don't lie anymore. And the reason I don't is because even if no one finds out, it still happened. And it, it's crazy that like, that's what I mean when I'm like, I feel like I have this genuinely feel like a sociopath if I'm not working steps that I think that it's okay to just lie and if no one finds out you know no harm no foul um yeah and it was like all it was finally staring that in the face all those lies like you can't there's no getting like this happened bro it's you did this um, that day that literally went under my under the covers like a child you know and it was just like i couldn't look at her it was just it was so dark and i was so sad and she was just calm she was like look it's you know 
we're going to figure it out. We'll get through this, you know, kind of thing. Huge presentation at work uh, three days after that point. And uh, so I talked to her and I'm like, look, I'm, I have to keep using for the next three days. Like I have to do this presentation. I was like, a, I, I'm with like a career. I'm going to do this presentation. So I, I rapid tapered over like five days. I, I was taking probably 30 or 40 grams a day. I just took like 10 grams a day for like three or four days. And um, that moment, on the bed when she when she confronted me is like burned into my psyche and there's this there's this concept in distance running called the demon in the cookie jar and it's basically just like your most horrible memory of your life and like the best memory of your life and it's like cycling between those two when you're running and you like you want to quit and it's like when you want to quit like what are you running from and I'm like I'm running from that guy and then it's like all right, what are you running towards? And it's like, you know, the, the, the thing you're most proud of. It's like at that moment is just like so etched into my spirit that um, it like it just thinking about it, like makes me feel weird. So, yeah, it was horrible. It was traumatizing. It was traumatizing for my wife. You know, There's a lot of wreckage there. Um, one thing that was huge that I learned through this is that like when I do drugs, I hurt people. Because I don't have to hurt them to hurt them. They have a buy-in. It's like a stock option. They've bought a stock in caring about me. And when I use drugs, I devalue their stock. And it hurts the people that have bought into me as a human. Um, and that's mm -hmm. one thing I realized through the step working process is that like, I hurt everyone. No matter if I'm seeing them or not seeing them, when they find out I've been using drugs, it hurts them. And uh, I did a ton of damage to my wife and my family and a lot of guilt there. But, I, you know, I'm working through it very intentionally. So I did five days of, I think, about 10 grams. And then I jumped from there. Man, what an experience. Cold turkey, creative withdrawals are, man. They were wild. That was a, I don't even want to say dark. It was like weird. The whole thing, because you can't sleep did get 10 days off of work so that was nice so i did have some time off work coming off kratom like changed my brain and not in a way that coming off in no other drug has in the sense of like it changed my personality i have the most vivid memory and i don't know if it was where i was at in my life or if it was kratom specifically but i just have the most vivid memory of sitting at my laptop i think it was like day eight or nine and i couldn't sleep mm -hmm. and i the nights are dark dude to me the nights are a different beast than the days. Like, I, and I've I've come off drugs enough to know that's when it's like, it's like you're digging a foxhole during the day, and then you're just crouching in it at night, and like the house is quiet, and when you know, you just got no one. It's so dark, literally and figuratively. It's just dark and scary. That's what breaks people is those nights. I was on my laptop. I just wanted to sleep so bad. I remember I was Googling like black seed oil and vitamin C dosing and all the different <laughs> tips and tricks, dude. And I just had this moment of calm washed over me. And I just heard when I say when I use the word spirituality and when I say like I heard a voice, I'm not talking about like the religious connotation of those words. Like especially spirituality for me is a really loaded word. Um, to me, all that means is like I've been meditating a lot. And when I'm meditating, get real quiet. I realize that I'm, I am not my running thoughts. So what am I? Whatever that is, is spirituality to me. And it doesn't have to be 
it's not magical. It's literally just for me, it's, it's millions of years of evolution. I've created this thing called a consciousness in humans and it looks at my behavior. It's like me looking at me, whatever that is, that's spirituality to me. I had this moment, I was out my laptop and I just heard this voice that said, what you're doing right now is the problem. Like the drugs are not the problem. They're a symptom of whatever is wrong with you. And this, what you're seeking right now on this laptop is what's wrong with you. Like this, this seeking to fill the void and the pain is your problem. It's not drugs. And I was just like, oh God. And I closed the laptop and I was like, I'm out on pleasure seeking. I'm out. Like whatever that is that lives in me that is like seeking the, the best way I can explain it in a non drug related way is whatever part of my spirit thinks the goal of life is to sit on my couch, cozy in a blanket, ignore my children and watch two screens at once, Netflix on one, TikTok on the other, whatever part of my spirit thinks that that's my mission and my goal is the part that I realized that day. Like I got to kill that part. That's like, that is, that is what is wrong with me. And that manifests mostly through drug seeking when I'm using drugs. But when I'm not, it'll seek comfort in any way it can find it. Video games or smoking cigars or vape or watching Netflix or TikTok or the phone or whatever it is, I strive to just be cozy and comfy that like that like opium den sensation is what my like spirit craves and i'm i'm trying to fix that and that was like i started the journey to to like break that habit from all parts of my life and uh, that's when i discovered stoic philosophy i started googling around i had this recurring thought that was the suffering is the point like i was suffering and i felt so bad and i kept hearing this voice say yeah well that's the point this is why you're alive, dude. Why don't you get some of that? Like dig your foxhole and like be a man. And that that started me on a journey that like totally changed my life completely. I'm weirdly thankful for my relapse and for Kratom for that. That it like awoken this like warrior, this like grown up, right? It, it awoken this grown up that is just like, nah, man, we just get it done now. I don't care how I yeah. feel about it. I don't have to be comfortable. I can, I can, I can uh endure sustained misery and i'm a good i thrive in it now um so that's that it was like a huge gift i got from from kratom strangely enough some people don't believe that you have withdrawals from kratom and so as an experienced multi-poly substance abuser what are your thoughts about that I mean, it's just, uh, it's just such silliness. I can't even like, I can't even really engage with it. One, because Kratom is a really weird drug. It, it affects yeah. people extremely differently. Everyone's doing different strains. There's no like codification to it. Um, it's not regulated properly. So it's just like, really like there was strains I would take that would do nothing and strains that I would take where I like couldn't function. Non-drug addicts use drugs way differently than drug addicts. So a non-drug addict using Kratom would probably not abuse it in a way that would cause real severe withdrawals. If you're a drug addict like I am, yeah, I was miserable, miserable for, it took me about 45 days to feel, I feel like completely better. I still had a little bit of brain fog, two weeks to sleep, to sleep regularly. 
it took me about 20, 20 to 25 days to fill about 90%. That last 10% came over 25 to 45, maybe as, maybe as far out as, uh, as two months before I felt like 100% better. But even then, there was real strong lingering like emotional and, and psychological effects that I never experienced on any other, any other opiates, not even close to just that. I really think that's what drew me on that path. It was all like this insane wave of like negative emotions and weird mood mm-hmm. swings and like cra- just crazy thinking that I never experienced on any other any other opiates it was always just like oh i'm clean i feel great this is awesome kratom was like oh it's doom and the world's messed up and every it was just one ssris but it seems like it's a combination of coming off opiates and ssris together that's what it seems like in my layman opinion and that's why i feel like a calling to do this because i i don't really like substance specific anything i don't know i struggle with it but kratom is such a weird drug that it like it sucks in people that don't know anything about addiction at all. Yeah. Like when I was using street drugs, I knew where to go to get help. hundred percent. When, when people are at the bar every night, they know where to go to get help. If they find themselves feeling like they're alcoholics, but like, I feel like Kratom sucks people in that have no idea what it is. They have, they don't know anyone in recovery. They, they don't, I just feel like there's, um, this hole for the the message of recovery to get carried to people that are struggling with kratom find a way to fill that hole that matches with the 12 step fellowship that i um enjoy going to and what works for for the kratom addicts that are out there so i'm i'm trying to bridge that gap right now and see how i can do it through a more like codified way yeah i just i feel like there's this big blind spot with with all these people that are stuck on kratom um, that they don't know. They don't know the resources that exist for addicts. And um, yeah. I want to I try to make them aware of that, you know? I, I, I'm exactly the same way. I, I mean, I truly believe a drug is a drug is a drug. I've encountered people, you know, like people that are naive to and, and kind of buy into the marketing and kind of get blindsided and get really hooked, you know, and they're, they, they're not poly substance users with long histories like us, you know? And it's just it's a weird qualities of it. I, I mean, I think it's pretty addictive. It, it, it you're not your life isn't going to turn into a train wreck. Um, and I, you know, I just hear these stories of people being on a long term, you know, then multiple relapses. Yeah, and I always have trouble. Like, should we just be sending people different fellowships or about kratom specifically? But so hence, I guess that's the the that was the genesis of the whole podcast. You know. Yeah, I have these two competing parts of my brain, and one of them is like all it doesn't matter what the substance is, carry the message. It's a, it's a spiritual problem, and the other part is the reality on the ground is that there's people suffering that are abusing this one specific drug, and I don't feel like anyone is carrying any sort of message to them of hope. It's like mm-hmm. I, I'm tr- I struggle to. Like I have cognitive dissonance on both sides of that where I'm like, no, it's all the same. Everyone knows where to go for help. And then the other side's like, dude, no, these people have no idea. There's all these resources and they, they're just not aware of them. Isn't it our job to try to make them aware of them? And then it's like, well, yeah, but you got to get a service position. It's just there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm trying to take my fellowship seriously this time so I can stay clean and 
trying to stay within the, the, the guidelines of that and not have it be like my way because um, my way has just not been very effective up to this point. So it's it's a struggle for me. Even even doing this was kind of a, a struggle on like, is this right? Or should I even be a part of this group and all that? I, it's still a struggle for me. So I'm, I'm trying to figure it out as I go. Whenever you talk to your sponsor about something, that's usually the first sign you're doing the right thing, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of, dude, I, I heard there was someone on your show that, that shared something. I, I listened to a couple of different people. Actually, there's this is a bit of a tangent, but this is like on my heart. I want to I want to say this. So there was somebody, yes. a guest that I really liked, and he said something like, between my ears, my brain is like a bad neighborhood. And I was like, that is awesome. That's such a good saying. And literally, and I, I hate to be a sniper like this, but like this is the way my brain works being around recovery for as long as I've been around it is literally like moments later you ask him like what are you doing you know to maintain your your clean time and he was like well i write a lot i think he said i write a lot i I like to read a lot and occasionally i'll go to meetings and i just thought bro two out of three of those are you alone in your head and it wasn't like a judgmental thing when when i listened to that it just it made me sad because i'm like dude reading and writing not dude that's that for me it's such a trap dude people that love to read and write are smart smart people struggle with addiction it's a it's a challenge if you're reading a lot of books and writing a lot like you 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 like your own ideas and i'm guilty of it i'm super guilty of it but that's why i make sure to engage with people that aren't me and I take that. This is this is what I can say. Outside of a twelve step fellowship, if that doesn't appeal to you. That's fine. This is, and I'm going to give some advice here. We're supposed to give experience. I'm going to give you some advice. Okay, I'm going out on a limb. Find somebody that has more than fifteen years clean off of every single substance, and ask them how they did it, and do exactly what they say. That's it. That's my advice to you. You're you, you're in a bad neighborhood if you're reading and writing. Go find somebody that because th- this is obviously true in any other area if you want to get good at brazilian jiu-jitsu go find a black belt let him teach you right you're never just going to go Mm -hmm. try to make up your new moves and you're going to figure it out like in every other avenue this makes total sense but for some reason we 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 want to i want to figure it out and it's like that's what got broken me this time where i just i i went like a horse like i'm broken i'm like nope my ideas suck and that's okay so i just i call people that have 10, 15, 20 years. And I'm like, hey, man, this is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And they're like, that sounds like a horrible idea. And I'm like, cool. That's why I called you. Create them in the headlines. Next week, we'll have the second part of the interview with Matthew over the Labor Day weekend. Today, we're going to talk about the difference between dependency and addiction. Not so much news or headlines. I'm going to share two articles from academics and activists. So first, the pro-Kratom community in the Kratom industry insists that there isn't such a thing as Kratom addiction and that the most that there is is a Kratom dependency. This is to push the narrative that Kratom is like a coffee or a tea. I feel like this is... real minimization with the tolerance and withdrawals that can be created with sustained kratom use. 
the scientific and medical establishment decades ago made a conscious choice to start using the word dependency over the word addiction because it was less stigmatizing. So in much of the scientific and academic literature, you will see more a reference to dependency. I personally, when it comes to kratom, I consciously use the word kratom addiction, not because I don't know the difference between the two, because I think it more clearly states the extent of the problem that some people have with kratom. All substances, only a fraction of people have problematic use. And I know the word addiction is co-opted by the larger society. My local news station just had a pledge drive where they were calling out to all news junkies. So the word associated with addiction and meaning has been stretched a bit in the culture and everyday use. So the first article is from Virgil. It's called the word addict, why I use it and think you should too. The argument I make in this post is that addiction activism is important and necessary, but I'm going to start by talking about a different activist community altogether, the deaf liberation movement. It goes on to applaud that community's accomplishments and their success in taking control of the narrative and destigmatizing the language associated. She talks about it through a sitcom called Switched at Birth. Then when she gets to the discussion about the word addict, this is what she says. I'm arguing here that we should reclaim the term addict. There are two primarily counter arguments that anyone ever makes. They come across as meaningfully different, but I think they're basically levied by the same group of people. One, the word addict is stigmatizing. Pick a different word. Implied, it's all well and good to advocate for those people. Just call them something else. Two, you should not, in fact, be advocating for the group of people you call addicts because addiction is a medical condition best handled by doctors, not something to celebrate. Or you should be advocating for drug users at large rather than a small subset of them. She goes on to explain that's why that's not necessarily two. She then explains uh, why not call yourselves people who use drugs? Why agitate for addicts? Non-addict PWDs are not vulnerable to addict oppression in the way addicts are. When a non-addict is punished for their drug use, our explanation of why they were wrong highlights the fact that the victim is not an addict. Meanwhile, our negative reaction to hearing that someone was oppressed often goes away if we learn the person was an addict. It's important to note that user movements often emphasize that most drug users retain social functionality, doing so exclude us. Liberation is a zero-sum game. I think it's no accident that the vast majority of the people who tell me that I shouldn't refer to myself as an addict are non-members of that identity category. I think it's no accident that so many decriminalists, not unlike prohibitists, want to view the drug crisis as monolithic, instantaneously equal harms as cross race, class, and yes, addict lines. I think this reflects that the addict community has interests different from theirs and Bringing attention to us threatens their access to the stuff that they can use responsibly, but we can't. And I think that, in a nutshell, my friend, is what's going on. The second article is from a professor in criminology, Julian Buchanan, who I respect his work, but he is one of those absolutists that advocate against prohibition. Uh, so his article is called Beyond the Addict Addiction Paradigm. 
Addiction and addict are heavy laden concepts rooted in the highly contested brain disease model, a model that demands total abstinence from all illicit substances as they only cure and one that celebrates the identity of being clean. Clearly, some people do develop issues with drugs and we need to make sense of this. So how can we move beyond the reductionist binary frameworks of addiction and the addict? He concludes, people in dire situations struggling with unmet complex needs for most of their lives, overlaid with patterns of enduring problematic drug use, should not be misleadingly labeled as if they are struggling with some pathological personal deficit. They are people first and foremost. It is time we move away from the reductionist, pathologizing, and inaccurate paradigms of the addict and the reductionist. These are inaccurate because we all use drugs, we all have habits, and, and all people lose control of habits to some degree. Resource of the week. Today, I'm going to share something called urge surfing and a technique to resist it. My therapist recently gave it to me in an individual session. Today, that my bad habits have been kind of reduced to maybe eating a second bowl of ice cream or an urge to like binge watch a TV show. I just recently heard about a really cool show called Midnight Tokyo Diner, and it's like 25 minute episodes that are just really story full character driven type of uh, show and i just heard a great review and i've been tempting to watch it but i'm scared <laughs> that if i watch it you know i'll i'll end up watching a whole season all at once and not get done my work that i want to do you know and all things moderation my friends so if you have an urge to take kratom and you're or have an urge for any addiction or habit or compulsion uh, try this and i'll put a link in the show notes about there's a great visualization of it it's a wave and it's kind of like surfing it urge surfing is a technique for managing your unwanted behaviors rather than giving up to an urge you will ride it out like a surfer riding a wave after a short time the urge will pass it on its own the technique can be used to stop or reduce drug and alcohol use emotional reactions such as blowing up when angry gambling and other unwanted behaviors on one axis is the intensity of the urge, and the other axis is the time. So at the beginning, you'll have a trigger. This is an urge triggered by a person, place, thought, feeling, or something else. Then there'll be a rise. The urge becomes more intense. This may happen gradually or very suddenly. It will peak. When the urge reaches its most intense point, it will feel as if the urge will never go away. You need to just get through that peak and then slowly it will fall and the urge loses intensity and eventually fades away. My problem with urges is they often feel permanent and that's just never the case. How to practice urge surfing. Acknowledge you are having an urge. So you got to label it. Stop. Take a moment. Oh, this is what's going on. Notice your thoughts and feelings without trying to change or suppress them. No, it is normal to feel some discomfort during this stage. You know, when you're having an urge, it's not going to be, it's going to be distressing. And then remind yourself, it's okay to have urges. They are natural reactions to addictions and habits. Two, an urge is a feeling, not a must. I can have the feeling and choose not to act. 
Three, some discomfort is okay. I don't have to change it. Just And last, the urge is temporary. Like any other feeling, it will pass on its own. This is sort of a distress tolerance technique. And I will put it in the show notes. Please stay in touch on the social media channels. You can email us at creativesobriety at gmail.com. We are looking for guests in September. We'd like to talk to more women. We'd like to, like to talk to somebody who's successfully tapered. We'd love to hear about your experiences. And so until next week, keep it creative free.